We'll be looking at Isaiah 40, but um, I'm going to start a three-part series here since it's back to school. Uh, I'm going to deal today, uh, I'm going to aim at, at young people quite a bit. There's something here for sure for you adults. Because the issue is this, uh, are your kids going to go to heaven? And uh, I, a little book, a pastor when I was in Oregon gave me, The Great Evangelical Recession, and uh, by John Dickerson. And he tells of six trends uh, that are killing the evangelical church. Two was primarily the loss of young people going on all over the country. And that in the next 20 years, they suspect 75% of all giving to churches will cease. Because the most generous generation of believers with the church are dying. Most of them are over 60. And those behind them are tippers or don't know anything about giving. 1%. Starbucks gets more of their money than God. And so all the old money is going away. And the young crop isn't supporting. So they're saying, pay off your buildings, lay off your staff, and work with volunteers because you can't stand it economically. This is what they say about youth. And when they talk about youth, they're talking about 19 uh, to 29. This has been out there a long time, but... You, you look at our, uh, pr- from preschool, uh, we have children's ministry, uh, then you've got junior high pastor, you've got senior high, and the big chasm we always have is after 18, we have nothing right now, but we've got some concerned brothers that are meeting, and uh, the Galvins have been, oh, don't worry, there's a stir, we're, we're not going to let that stay, we're going to do something about it. It cannot stay as a canyon where our 19-year-olds wonder, well, do I belong in the church anymore? Oh, do you belong? You, you don't belong to be spoon-fed. You belong to help us. We're going to give you ministry. We're going to show you how ministry is done so you have a reward also. But listen to what he says. This is right out of the book. How many 18 to 29-year-olds leave evangelical churches, 19 to 20. These are supposedly Bible-believing churches. Of the 3.7 million United States evangelicals who are 18 to 29 years old, 2.6 million will leave the faith at some point between their 18th and 29th birthday. That's 260,000 a year. That means uh, you parents, with your kids singing there today, the majority of them are going to drop your faith in this church when they turn 19. Go to college, get where they don't drive their own car, and they don't have to go to church. Then they're going to make their choice, and at 19, you're going to find out if they buy this old fogey faith you've been bringing them to. They're going to make their choice. I used to say if my girls still wanted to go to church, after they were 18, I might be suspicious that they were born again. Because a pastor's kid doesn't get much choice about going to church. It's torture if you don't know God. And did you know your kid's going to consider it torture 
Because we raise unsaved kids, right? And here's what we can do. If we had a better youth group, if they had better parents, and even with the best youth group and the best parents, they may still not want it. And so next week, I'm going to look at what does a godly father look like? And the third week, what does a godly mother look like? This is going to be family month. Because we need to form a partnership between you and us to reach your kid before it's eternally too late. Listen to what it says here. Uh, 260,000 leave the church each year. That's 712 a day, 365 days a year. Uh, it's interesting. My girls growing up in this church, let's see, Edie is still here. Uh, I think she's saved. We're praying about it. Uh, Rebecca, Deborah, and from our youth department, is there any other in our church? Larry, well, you know. <laughs> Four. Uh, there's John back there, John Lee. Anybody else? Uh, Nick and Bobby. Who any, who any young people here? They grow. Andrea, raise your hand if you're past 29 and you're still in this church and you grew up. Good. Stand up. Stand up. There's at least 10. Go. Come on. Yeah. Okay. But you know what? We had a lot more in youth group than the 10. Where are the rest? Where are they? Well, we didn't have a good third grade teacher. Well, the youth group wasn't cooking. No, 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 no. Listen to this. Um... As they've done the study, then I must get into the message, and I'm going to talk that even young people will faint. Even they will give up. Of the 2.6 million who leave, about 900,000 will eventually return later in life. But 1.7 million will never come back. And then it talks about the God of co contemporary Christendom uh, and a fellow by the name of Christian Smith wrote a book called Soul Searching in which he said the common creed, the common belief among evangelical teens is moralistic, therapeutic deism, which he defines as a self-centered worldview in which personal happiness is the highest goal and a distant God is taken for granted in the background, the mainstream of American Christianity for young people is that God uh, is there to make me happy and that most people will be saved if they just live a good life. So they don't hold a biblical view at all of what the Bible says. So all of you folks uh, 50 and older that's given you money, brought them to church, and believe the Bible, and we want a Bible-teaching church, amen, hallelujah, well, good. You'll go to your grave with that, and you're on the right side. But don't be, don't be believing your kids or your grandkids have that view. The culture is winning. And unless uh, God intervenes, we're in a moral, spiritual decline in this country like nothing you can describe. It's a miracle that I get to preach the Bible around here 
without being thrown out because there's Bible lovers out there. I don't know if young people would vote me in. So you gray heads, stay alive. <laughs> because we may not hold the same view. You believe in hell, don't you, Pastor? Well, I believe the Bible. Jesus talked about hell. If he believes it, I believe it. You believe in morals, don't you? Man, don't you know that went out with condoms? Well, I'm, I, the Bible said you ought to save sex for marriage. And some of you would be good if you discover sex since you are married. <laughs> you know, I'm all for sex. Just get married. A guy asked me the other day, he said, uh, what age you get married? I said, I got married young. But I decided to be broke and be pure. We were broke, but we can have sex without sin. It was worth the poverty. <laughs> can I get a hey, man? So don't tell me I don't believe in sex. Yes, I, do. I even have children, and I didn't get them by kissing. What does this do? Man, if I talk on sex, you'll be here every week. <laughs> I really want to talk about what Isaiah said to a nation and applied even to our young people. Look at Isaiah, if you would, verse 30 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me describe to you what's going on. Israel has suffered much. The Syrians finally took the northern kingdoms into captivity. Judah evaded the invasion of Assyria under Sennacherib, and God delivered Hezekiah and Judah. Later on, Babylon sweeps in, and God tells them in Isaiah 40, comfort my people, they've paid double for all their sins. In other words, they've been punished to the full. They've been punished to the full. But their big problem is they were always discovering other gods they would rather serve than the God that let them suffer. That the God that seemed to abandon them, God did not abandon them. He just simply said, you want other gods? See if they can deliver you. You want other gods? Go ahead. Isn't it scary God will give you what you want? I just got to have it. You know what God does sometimes? He lets you have it. And once you get it, you say, I don't need it. A little too late, you're addicted. You now got the disease, you've got the habit, and you might be killed before you ever come back. God will give you what you want. God's judgment for sin is more sin. You like sin, he's going to let you do all you want. Just go on. Matter of fact, he'll let you go to hell if you want. That sounds weird, doesn't it? You don't want him? Well, why doesn't he sovereignly intervene? Come on, you, you human responsibility, you free will people. Come on. 
He'll let you have your choice. He will. And he starts to tell Israel, I'm the true and God, wonderful God, and you should have relied on me. And I want us to look at the chapter and apply it to young people and us adults likewise. Three things I want to ask. Uh, is God, this God of the Bible, big enough for you? Is he big, or need we look for a bigger God? Now, the God of Isaiah seems to be big enough. I don't know what your God looks like, because we all create an image of God. It was A.W. Tozer who said in the knowledge of the holy, what a man thinks of when he thinks of God is the most important thing about you. And if I asked you to define God on a three-by-five card, what would you define him? That's the most important thing about you, according to Tozer. I had that assignment in seminary. Our theology prof said, by next week, I want a three-by-five card definition of who is God. I'm telling you, we wrestle, all of us guys, and we were all at most gone through college. We are doing master's level work. Give me a definition that cannot be compared to anybody else. What's your definition of God? J.B. Phillips wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. And most of us, our God's too small. He's the God we've created between our ears. He's not the God of the Bible. Now listen to what he says in Isaiah 40. In verse 9, he said, Behold your God, Israel. Go up, tell them, listen, I want you to tell the cities of Judah about how great their God is. Tell them how powerful I am. What do you compare my power to? Uh, let's just see if you can get a God this size anywhere else. I'll just take one reference outside of Isaiah. Take Psalms 139. What other God has been with you ever since your mother got pregnant with you and that was inside the uterus and the womb was there that determined your pigmentation, your brain capacity, your, the color of your hair, your ethnicity. He was in there weaving you intricately, preserving you. Uh, if your mother had a fall, whatever, God let that embryonic sac keep you, protect you. Did you? What other God starts with you when you're but a one-cell being? Our God. And he said, this God, there's no place you'll ever go from conception on that he won't be there. So he's the ever-present God from the womb on for every human being. That's why we say, don't probe and mess with that little cell, even if it's not outside the womb, because God's present right there. God even caused the conception. Be frank, you can have a lot of sex without a pregnancy. Ask the barren woman. God gives conception. God's the overseer of life. It's not life. Now, he starts telling them, look at the things God can do that none of these idols you've been serving can do. Look at verse 12. You got your Bible? Look at it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now, could you imagine asking God how many gallons are in the Pacific Ocean? God could tell you. 
And where's your scales? Is that good enough? So many gallons, so much weight. You got a God that big? This God's that big. And he marked off the heavens with a span, span of his hand. Whoop. Wait, 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 wait. The Milky Way, it doesn't exceed the span of his hand. Did you know we've got galaxies out there that we've never discovered yet? We thought, you know, uh, our own uh, uh, galaxies were great and uh, all of that. And then when Hubble comes along, we're discovering galaxy after galaxy. So wait, wait, we can't keep up. And God says, by the way, I look down on all the galaxies because I'm bigger than the galaxies. I'm the creator and I can stand above. God stops somewhere out there. God doesn't just go on forever. He's not a big giant jellyfish that just keeps going on. No, he's got limits. But his limit is he's bigger than everything he created. Uh, he says here, he marked off the heavens. He enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale. Oh, you've got to be kidding. No, I'm not. And the hills in the balance. God knows what the Sierra Range weighs. God knows what the Rocky Mountains weigh. That's pretty good power to weigh mountains, measure oceans. And he, he talks about, can your God do that? And uh, uh, let me ask you, what man could ever counsel God? He goes on to say, uh, Look at the nations. Look, you're impressed with nations, Israel. You're impressed with Assyria and Egypt. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Russia, drop. Iraq, drop. America, drop. 260 million people, a drop. India, a drop. We're looking at something we haven't been handling lately. And you want another God? Anything after this God is going to be smaller. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon, ah, with all of her trees, I'll use her for fuel. 17, the nations are like nothing before him. They are counted as less. Then he asked the question, to whom will you liken me? Who do you want to compare me to? Now look, he says about their gods, he said, you've made gods. He said, their eyes are plastered over. You can't even, they can't even see. He said, you go cut down a piece of wood. With half of it, you build a fire. The other half, you build a god, and you worship that god. You kneel. It can't see. It can't talk. It can't hear, and you've chosen it over me. Now, let me tell you, young people, this 19 to 29 crowd and our younger ones, pornography for boys begins at age 13. The most addicted are 13 to 17. That's where they get hooked. They've got to see a naked woman every day to make it. And the pitiful remarks, as I just read Christianity Today, is about 70% of all adult men see pornography weekly and 25% of pastors. Christianity Today this month. 
We're hooked. And pornography is an idol. You're worshiping the image of someone you don't know. You're pretending you've got a relationship with someone that is nothing but ink on paper, but you've imagined. See, to be an idolater, you must have an imagination. Idolater, imagination. I imagine. I look on that thing. Hey, I just, man, I painted it. Uh, you got ears. Oh, there's your nose. And I look. You can meet all my needs. And, and by the way, here's some rice. And, and, and that would be okay for just rice. But by the way, I brought my son, and I'll put him on a burning fire into your mouth, as they did Molech. They would just lay the child there, and while the flames were burning, the infant would roll into the mouth of the idol. Please, in the drought in California, and I'm trusting you. Does that seem absurd? What about if we put money up here? I'll do anything for money. Uh, put a woman up here. Put some drugs up here. I, I bow. I worship you. I, I can't live without you. Is there anything in your life I can't live without? I got to have a little Coke. I, I got to have a snort. I got to have, I got to have that chick. But she's not a believer. She hates your God. I don't care. She's good in bed. What does she do when she dies? Your God's going to die. Your God's a mere mortal. You're both going to die. But, oh, man, what a figure. What eyes. What, can, can, can they save you? No. Can they reverse? Can they meet any major needs? They only fill the need of lust. But you made them a God. You're saying you can, can't live without them. Israel, and don't anyone take that money. I'm leaving it there. <laughs> I gave in the offering. Leave my money alone. So he's saying, yeah, look at these nations that you run. Uh, look at it. He's going to talk about the idol. To whom then will you liken me? To one of your idols? A craftsman, he makes it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold. He puts silver chains on it. He too is impoverished for an offering. He chooses wood that will not rot. You know, when you're going to make a God, you've got to get a wood that won't rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. By the way, that's why there's no images of any gods around here. We don't make them to Mary, and we don't make them to the preacher. We serve the invisible, high and lifted God. He doesn't need images. We are not image worshipers. Because our God is the God of Isaiah, not a wood stump. We don't put up idols. If I had my way, you'd melt them all. It was, I forget which reformer it was, says, melt all the idols in the churches and put the saints in circulation. He wanted to melt the silver and gold, and he said, then we could put the saints in circulation, make money out of them. You don't get it, but that's okay. Uh, don't you understand that he who sits on the circle of the earth? Notice there, God never did say the earth was flat. Science said that. Science said the earth was flat. And if you study the life of Christopher Columbus, he read in Isaiah that the earth was a circle. And he said, I'm going outside the Gibraltar Straits, and I'm going to sail that way, and I won't drop off of a flat earth. 
It's a circle because I believe Isaiah. You could study. It's a historical fact. Science gets mixed up. This God doesn't get mixed up. He said he's looking from the sphere, the circle of the earth. Now, are you impressed with princes? Look at verse 23. Brings princes to nothing. Where is Saddam Hussein? Where did we find Saddam? On the throne or groveling in a hole in the ground? Where is Noriega? Been down rotting in a prison down in South America, but has come to faith in Jesus Christ. I just read about it. Where is Hitler with his lover in the bunker and takes the cyanide tablets and kills himself? Where is that country? It has come back, but where was the mighty man that will extinguish Jews and kill gypsies and kill blacks and be the pope of the whole world? No, Hitler, you won't. You're impressed with princes and power. But God says right here, he is above the princes who brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely are they sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. See you, Saddam. See you, Hitler. See you, Haman. See you, this one. They're all going to crash because Psalms 2 said Messiah, a resurrected Jewish man called Jesus Christ of Nazareth is going to reign over the nations and he's going to put them under his foot like a footstool and he's going to say, I am king, I am Lord, I will take the earth. Now, young people, you won't hear this in class, but this is our God. This is the God you'll have to lead. And you'll have to find another God. Be sure what God you pick. Because whatever God you pick is where you'll end. There's only one God that's made the heaven. It's this God, the God of Isaiah 40. And he's telling Israel, you've been giving up your children. I've sent you in to captivity in Babylon 70 years. Assyria has brutalized you in the north. And now in the dysphoria, they're still scattered. Oh, Israel, my heart longs to bring you back to me, the true and living God. He goes on. Look at the world. Look at the size of it. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Lift up your eyes and see who created these. Look up. Have you ever asked who made all that? Well, let's see. The Big Bang, an amoeba. Uh, You know, this stuff didn't even really start till the late 1890s with Darwin. Okay. You got a big bang that's pretty creative. Um, and an amoeba, they've come a long ways. No wonder we're trillions of years old. That amoeba's had to do a lot of walking. Uh, and he says, because Israel as a whole was theistic, and even if they picked the idols, 
they would ascribe to them the same. You know, their gods had to do it. But watch. Lift up your eyes. Who brings out all these stars? Who calls them by name? And the great. But stop. The first thing he says is, um, Israel, have you forgotten the size of your God? You've been in the God market. You're looking for God. Young people, let me tell you, you're looking for the God in your life. And your peers uh, are doing drugs, sex, booze, come from broken homes, and you're stuck with some parents or somebody that's dragging you down here. You say, I can't wait to boat and do my own thing. What you're really saying is, I want to go away from the great, great God, and I'm going to choose lesser gods, and they will destroy you. Other gods always, see, the only God in the Bible that gives is our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every other God ever invented, you have to support them, and you, they stay mad, they want your sons, they want your body, uh, they want your rice. You're always trying to get the gods happy. This God starts out and says, by the way, I'm a happy God. By the way, you don't have to bring me rice. You can't feed me. By the way, Israel, if you kill a thousand oxen, do you think you're feeding me? If you cut down every tree in Lebanon, you think I'm impressed with your altars? No, I'm the great happy God. That would be just fine without you. I just decided to make you mine. I want to love you. I want to be good to you. Young people, our God wants to bless you like you can't imagine. He wants you to know his son and come to have eternal life. He wants you to direct his steps all the way through peer pressure, puberty, hormones, pimples, and ugly boys. He, he, he wants to guide you in that, boys, you're good looking, especially Dominic's a good looking dude. Okay, and, and so he wants to guide you. He wants to guide you through life. I was saved at 14, backslid over rock and roll, just like Bobby and Nick do, and because uh, uh, I wanted to go to dances in our, our church group. You couldn't be in dances and rock and roll, so I backslid because I loved to hear those guys play. Got right with the Lord by the time I was 15, said yes to preaching. And so from 15 on, I've been asking God to be my God, direct my steps. I cannot tell you how much pain he's kept me from. I cannot tell you how wonderful it is to be married to a godly woman and not an idol of a playmate. To have a woman that Christ indwells. And as God told me when I dated her, if you ever hurt her, I will break your neck <laughs> because you're dating my daughter. When you date God's kids, you've got to be careful. The old man of that girl may not even be up that night, and he could be out at a bar. But if she's a Christian, so watch out, guys. And if he's a Christian, you're messing with a divine family. Do you think God would invest the blood of his son in my wife and not care how I dated her? You've got to be crazy. 
This God is jealous over what's his. You think you mothers and men are jealous? You've not. You, this God unapologetically said, I am a jealous God. I'll share you with no one else. Get over it. A love that doesn't have a certain amount of godly possessiveness for good isn't the kind of love God has. Well, he tells them, I'm this great God. But here's the question. A and Israel raised it. So what? You're great. You don't care about me. My problems are hidden from you. And this is what Israel said. So the second question is, is your God big enough? And number two, does your God care for you? Or will he abandon you in your youth? Will he not be there? He's only the God for old folks, you know. He's only the God for when you're dying and you're in the ICU unit. I used to tell that to God. God, let me sin all I want, and when I'm about 70, I'll be glad to take you up. I'm too young to not let my body be used for sin. Why waste such a wonderful body? And the Lord kept telling me, hey, Hambone, you may not be here another 24 hours. I was living during the Russia era and the Sputnik era and the Cold War and Adlai Stevenson and the UN. And we were at Egypt. We were at the Suez Canal. This scared boy thought we were going to world war. And I thought, I don't have any fallout shelter to keep me from the wrath of God. I need a Savior now. Kids, you don't have forever. You've got today. You may not be alive tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, right now. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days come when your health goes and life comes over you and the seasons of life diminish you. Do it before you get Alzheimer's. Do it before you get dementia. Do it before you die of AIDS. Why don't you trust him in the best time of your life? We need you. And you need him desperately. Listen to what he says, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? You're a great God, I guess. Isaiah sure wrote a lot. But you don't care about us. You let Assyria come in. You let Babylon come where are you? We need you now. He said, oh, Jacob, Jacob, I loved you all the way back there when you were fleeing Esau. I've loved you. I loved your father Abraham when he was a moon worshiper in Ur. I chose him out. I revealed myself to him. Oh, Jacob, how could you say I don't care? Then he tells him, why do you say this? Have you not known? Have you not heard? I'm the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I don't faint. I don't get tired. My understanding is unsearchable. I know everything you're going through. I've got all the strength you need, and I love you. I care for you. I am not only the omnipotent God, 
I'm the only one of the gods that shows compassion, love, and mercy on the worshiper. No other gods have compassion like this God. No other God. It was his son who came to bear our transgression who said to those weighted down with godless Judaism at the time of Jesus, he said, you're weighed down with lots of rules and regulations, Israel. I invite you, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I won't put more on you. Come, get, I'll put you in my yoke, and you'll find rest. You'll find ease. You'll find humility and meekness, and you'll find Messiah will enfold you in the yoke of fellowship. I, will, I don't want to put more on you, Israel. I want to bear the burden. Our God is available. He loves. But here's the question. Well, if you care, how do I gain access to your care? How do I get access to all this power you've told? You know, it's like you get all this strength. Don't describe to me how strong my enemies are. It will only depress me. But when you start talking about the strength of my friend, let's say of a father or a brother or someone that loves me, oh, I love to hear their strength described. And so he's described God's strength. And now he says, I care, but here's the number three question that you need to deal with. How do I gain access to it? You got all this power. Are you aware that I'm drowning in my problem? I'm weak. I'm defeated. I'm being subjected to foreign powers. I don't seem to be able to charge of anything. How do I get any access to you? Oh, I'll tell you. You want to know? Yeah. He said, well, let me tell you this. Every category, old men, old women, and even you need me. They will faint. They will be weary. You're not strong enough for what's ahead of you in life. I want to invite you to the only power that can get you through. And let me tell you how you can access it. And watch this close, young people. Watch this. Verse 30. This is how you access the carrying God's power. Watch what he says. He gives power to the faint. How many of you could say, I've been there? Good. I, whew, I'm, I've been faint many times. I'm wore out. I, I don't know how to solve it. What? What? Uh, I, uh, let's see, he says, uh, uh, and I give strength to the weary. Have you ever been weary? Now, if I could get to thinking about it, we could all get real weary right now. <laughs> and, and young men, come on, they're the, they're, they're the young uh, Rambos. They represent all the strength and go. They shall be exhausted. Watch. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me tell you two things about this verse. The word wait is sometimes translated wait or hope. They're interchangeable in the Hebrew. Wait. It, the idea is not passive waiting. It's waiting with hope of God's intervention. Sometimes it's translated trust. Those who wait expectantly for God's help. It's an attitude of faith. 
for future help. I'm calling on you right now, Lord. I'm expecting you, so we call it hope. But the idea of this word wait is not just, no, no, no. It is active, trusting expectation for God's help. Now, notice what he says he'll do. He'll renew your strength. Now, now this is worth uh, the whole message, what I'm going to tell you now. And I'll be taking a love offering for myself on the side for this great nugget. Uh, This little word, uh, I've studied it before, but I studied it again. And the Hebrew word here for renew is literally the word change. And it was used of changing your garments. You need a new change of clothes? It was used that way. Uh, For you scholars, if you'll see me, I'll give you all the Hebrew references to it later. You come see me. I got the notes, but that'll cost you. Um, But it's used about eight times in the Hebrew Old Testament. The same word, change clothes, change garments, get rid of dirty garments, put on new, get rid of garments. uh, He said, put on the garment of beauty, uh, be clean. And and the, the translation would be, come to me and exchange. Make an exchange with me. And what is the exchange? It's this. Bring your weakness, and I'll give you my strength. Bring your incompetence, and I'll give you my competence. Uh, Bring uh, your ignorance, and I'll give you some of my omniscience. Bring your impotence, I'll give you some of my omnipotence. Bring uh, your fainting, I'll give you my fullness. Will you show up and admit, first of all, you don't have it? And know that this great, majestic God who hears Jacob and hears you complain that he doesn't care, and he asks you this, I haven't been meeting you in the change room. You know, when you want to buy some nice clothes, they've got those change rooms. And if you're really ragged, you don't want to wear the ones you wore in out. You put them in the bag. And he's just saying, faith and trust in me and coming to me with all your inadequacy. Hey, young people, we know you're going back to school. We know there's drugs there. We know promiscuity is on every corner, especially from 12 on. We know it's not cool to be a church kid. We know that. It wasn't cool for me. I went through Helms and Richmond High, and I only knew five other Christians. And I used to run with the athletes and the dudes. I hung out by myself most of the time because every weekend was describing who they slept with or how they got drunk. I couldn't hang with them. I started preaching by the ninth grade. It was lonely. It was lonely. But wonderful. I took Jesus instead of them. And over here, I've already 
seen them buried, many of them. And they died of this, they died of that. Many died at Vietnam. All kinds of tragic ends. I want to tell you, hear me, hear me, hear me. Every day with Jesus is better than the day before. Every day. Every day. And, and you say, well, you're, you're getting too old to sin. I'm not getting too old to know that I'm going to die, but I'm kind of happy at the thought of it. For me to live is Christ and to die will be gain. I will be shouting the day I die in my spirit because immediately I will be with the Lord. Where will you be? Without Christ, you will immediately be in hell. Immediately. So you better let the good times roll while you're going to hell. You might have to stand up and make some sacrifices and say notice of sin, but let me tell you, the real party's coming. It's over there. It's there. We're going someplace. We're going someplace. And I just tell you what we want to do. As a church and as parents, we want you kids going back. What I love to do is get some of our elders, have our young people that are going back to school, any parent that wants to come, if the kid will let you, if they won't, if you embarrass them, stay in the pew. Um, that uh, I think we ought to pray for our young people going back to school. Let's say that sixth grader to twelfth grader. And we want to lay hands on them. We're going to pray. God, our God is bigger than the school system. Our God's bigger than peer pressure. And kids, when it gets rough and when you've blown it, don't give up. Don't think this church is going to reject you. We've all failed. We know what the teen years are like. We want to stand for you, fight for you. And I'll say this, parents. Don't be passive about your kids being lost. Would you help us? Would you help us? We need workers. We need finance. We need prayer. We're going to dedicate the month of October to 35 days of prayer. Because we think this church and our community desperately needs a praying church. I don't care about the budget and the color of the pews, but I do care if we pray. If we'll pray, God will heal. God will heal. Yeah.